Father, I see your love for every soul on this planet. I see you giving what mattered to you most, your only son, for every soul on this planet. I see the value that you place in your creation. I see that we all matter to you. God, I hope that I can honestly say that if Jesus gave his life to love them, then so will I. And you know that my prayer for this morning is that we will walk out of here with that in our minds and on our hearts. That if you love your creation that much, and so will we. So God, I ask that you would do in us what you want to do this morning. I invite your spirit to come right now to fill every single one of us, to remind us this morning of who we are because of who you are. Speak to us this morning, Father, clearly, strongly. Protect our ears and our minds and our eyes from everything else. Let us hear and see and feel and experience and know what you have for us this morning. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, you're going to need a Bible this morning. I've got a passage that I want to look at with you. And so if you don't have a Bible or a Bible app, just go ahead and put your hand up. Our ushers are bringing around Bibles that they will give you to use to follow along in and we'll let you know where to go in those Bibles. And if you are receiving one of those Bibles right now and you currently don't have a Bible of your own, please keep the one that you receive and take it with you. There's so much there. And this morning we're going to be affirmed of that again. We're going to see just how much God offers us in his word. This morning, Chapel Hill, I want to invite you to turn your eyes outward and see this world through the eyes of Jesus Christ. Son of God. I invite you to rise above culture and the way that it sees people. I invite you to set aside all of the things that you dragged in here this morning, your busyness, your schedule, your goals for what's left of the summer, your inward focus, all of that. I invite you to just set it down right now. This morning I invite you to listen to what God's saying in his word in the Bible 
I invite you to surrender every part of your life to your Father, to die to yourself again, which we're called to do daily. I invite you to ask God to fill you with his spirit, with himself, and to make you more like Jesus this morning. I invite you to allow God to chisel, to refine, to strengthen, and to encourage you this morning. We're going to hear God speak to us about love He's going to speak to us about life. He's going to speak to us about abundant life. In John 10.10, Jesus clarified some of why he came to earth. He made this incredible statement about his purpose here. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, I, Jesus, the Son of God, came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundant life, full life. Life, a life that's characterized by us being fully loved, fully valued, fully restored, fully transformed, fully empowered, fully forgiven, fully directed, fully significant, fully secure, fully provided for, fully connected, fully accepted, fully appreciated, full life, abundant life. That's why Jesus came. This was the approach that Jesus took to his time here with us. This fullness is exactly what he wanted to see. He was fully committed to offering and giving this full, abundant life. He laid down his own life and he died to make this life possible for you and for me. And for all of the people around us in this world. We've been taking this journey together this summer that we've called deconstruction. We've challenged our own perspective on some critical things. We've re-examined the way that we see life from a lot of different angles. And I want to do that again this morning. This message is going to be a little bit different though. The idea here is that we're going to deconstruct the way that we look at some of the people in our lives and around us in our communities. This is one of those times when I fear that the influence of this culture is great. It's had far too great an influence on us. It's been a deceptive influence, which is our enemy's specialty. Let me be more specific. Today I want to talk about something that has become a very high value in our culture. And it's something that we struggle with because it appears on the surface to be a very positive thing. And some degree it is, and so I'm asking that you come with me on this journey this morning. I'm pretty passionate about us resetting our perspective on this. The value that I'm talking about this morning, our cultural value, is the value of tolerance. And even though I've written this out and I've I've prepared to, to say that, I still say that word out loud and it does all kinds of things. My mind starts spinning I have a really hard time with this. I've struggled with this for years. What do I do with a value that seems so positive? What do I do with the, the way a label has been attached to me because I'm a follower of Jesus? What do I do with the fact that there are people in my life that assume that I am intolerant simply because I identify as a Christian? What do I do with the constant messages around me affirming tolerance? What do I do with the conversation taking place all around me that centers on the issue of tolerance? What am I supposed to do? Do you ever feel this way? 
You ever struggle to feel like maybe you're wrong to have some kind of moral standard? Do you ever feel helpless when confronted with a topic that sparks so much controversy? Are you afraid to speak into a conversation that might lead to you being labeled as intolerant? You ever feel like our culture is defining what it means to be loving by a cultural standard and you can see that the sides in the conversation are poorly defined? Church, this is hard. As followers of Jesus, we're called into the hard stuff. We're not called to back away. We're called out from behind our fears and into a life of representing Jesus as people created in his image, restored by his grace and empowered by his spirit. We're called to guide people to the abundant life that Jesus came to offer, and that's not always easy. So let me do something with the word tolerance. Go ahead, boys. We can't just ignore it. It's not going away, but we can put it in perspective. And so I have just a simple visual aid that I want to use to help put this in perspective this morning, okay? Because here's what I fear has happened. Our culture has put the value of tolerance up here. Hasn't it, or am I way off? It's put it as a very high value in our society. And this morning, church, what I'm asking you to do with me is that together we take the value of love and we put it somewhere up here. This is what I want our conversation to be this morning. We're going to talk about love. And we're going to talk about the value that it should be in our lives, that it is in our lives. God is pretty clear about love, isn't he? When asked what the greatest commandments were, Jesus replied with love and love. Boys, you can take that down now. I'm not going to clam up it again. Paul listed his top three values. He said faith, hope, and love, but he said that the greatest of these was love. In the year, in, in the more than a year that we spent studying John's account of the life of Jesus, how often did we see Jesus talk about love? Well, I don't have a number for you, but I do have a, a document that displays for us the impact that Jesus' emphasis on love had on John. The document is a letter that John wrote to the churches. In the Bible, it's called 1 John. The first of three letters from John that have been included in the Bible for us. And I want us to go there together now. So turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4. This is one of the clearest descriptions of God that we have to turn to. It's also one of the clearest pictures of who we are in relation to being created in the image of God. I love this passage. This is 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. I want you to soak this in. 
He writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Okay, I want you to pause right there. And I want us to make sure that we take off our judgment hats. We know John well enough to know that this was not a criticism leveled at the church. This was not a call to perform better. This was a call to see God and be affected by him. This was written by a very close dear friend of Jesus. John is writing about the God that he knew in Jesus. And Jesus was the full representation of God. John writes using terms like beloved, children, little children, my children, when he's referring to the church. This is John writing in love about love. Verse eight. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Okay, I made one of my most meaningful connections ever between who God is and who I am by letting this passage sink into my mind and my heart and I hope you're doing the same. Here's the connection. Verse eight, God is love. Underline, highlight, circle that. God is love. Verse 16, God is love. Underline, highlight, and circle that. Verse 17, second half of the verse. As he is, so also are we in the world. Now deal with that. God is perfecting his love in his children, in you and me. And as Jesus represented God's love in this world, so do we. And if you would like to argue with me that we have a higher calling in life, 
bring it on. Um, the love of God is in us and it wants out. Try to wrap your head around this one. God is love. This is quite a statement. God, John says, and other authors in the Bible agree, God is a verb, not a noun. Now certainly there are noun statements all through the Bible about God. But John uses a verb not to describe what God does. John doesn't say God loves. He says God is love, a verb, an action. God is love. And John says as God is, a verb, so are we in this world. I am love. You are love. We are action figures. There are many ways to describe us as people, but there is something that surpasses those things. It's identifying us as a verb. We are love. God loves because God is love. We love because we are love. That's what God's doing in us. Let's look at how that, let's look at how that plays out in the, the conversation about tolerance. Here's what I'm seeing these days. Love, as an action, Jesus' way, starts with humility. Paul wrote in Philippians 2.8 that Jesus humbled himself through obedience, even to the point of death. Jesus instructed us to die to ourselves, to take up our cross daily. We're to crucify the sinful nature that we were born with. Uh, Peter, in the Bible, when he saw who Jesus really was, he fell to his knees and even told Jesus to leave him, that he wasn't worthy. Being an action, being love in this world, starts here. Jesus humbled himself. Church, so do we. We acknowledge that God is God and we're not. We willingly give up our lives for the sake of others and how God wants to shine through us in this world. Love in action does not look like us sitting on the judgment seat determining whether the people around us are right or wrong. Love is very different than that. Love puts others before ourselves. Me managing love and deciding where to offer it does not work. Me being love and always humbly offering it does work. Humility is the first step in being love. Bringing the offer of abundant life to the world around us. I need to humble myself and understand that I am nothing without God's love being in me and flowing through me. Secondly, I think it's important for us as love to learn how to better follow and not get in front of Jesus. Personally, I can't lead in this area. I am not love without the spirit of Jesus in me. The fruit of his spirit in me is love. That's not my fruit. Can I love without the spirit? Yes, of course I can. Can I be love without the spirit? Not a chance. So when I look, <clears throat> when I look at the people around me in this world and some of them rub me the wrong way and I find myself 
judging their behavior rather than loving them as people, it's clear evidence to me that I'm leading and assuming that Jesus is following me wherever I go. God is love. Jesus is love. They do this perfectly because they are this. They're working in me to perfect this in me as well, but I'm not there yet. Neither are you, and so we fall short. But we can't fall short by stepping aside and asking Jesus to lead us to the people in our paths. When Jesus encountered people during his time with us, did he ever blow it with someone? Did Jesus ever judge first without loving someone? No, he didn't. Did Jesus ever see someone from a cultural perspective rather than from God's perspective? No, he did not. Did Jesus ever fail to love someone, even one person? No, he did not. But I have many, many times. So who ought to lead in these interactions? Jesus ought to. But how? Well, back to the first point about humility. Saying, Jesus, please stand in front of me. I will follow your lead on this. Pray Jesus into the lead. Picture him standing in front of you between you and the person that you've had trouble loving. Look through Jesus as you look at that person. What does Jesus see? Who does Jesus see? Well, to know that, church, we're going to have to know Jesus. If you gave your life to love them, so will I. Remember that? We just sang that. There are eight billion opportunities for us to love like Jesus. But not if we're in front looking for Jesus to bring up the rear and give us a pat on the back. He leads, we follow. After all, Jesus did invite the world to follow him. Pray him into the lead with every person that you encounter. Part of seeing what Jesus sees is really challenging It involves seeing people as they could be, not as they are. Seeing people as they are means that we see only the best that this world can offer them. And let me expand a bit on that. We live in a cursed world right now. This is Satan's kingdom. This world does things to people. The curse affects people, all people. Jesus came to redeem this world. Right now he's working on people. Soon he's coming back and he's gonna deal with the whole thing, but he's working on people right now. He's working on me and you. He sees who we're becoming because of his love for us and in us, because of him in us. He's asking us, church, to see other people that way too. He's asking us to see people for who they could become with Jesus in them. He's asking us to see people as if they have become love. And that is so hard to do. It's easy for people to see me that way, right? (laughs) But it's impossible to see some people that way. You know who I mean, right? It's that person. They're a mess, and it's probably their fault. I'm a mess, and it is my fault. 
So here's my challenge for all of us. I want you to think about these Bible characters that are very, very familiar to people, especially people who have grown up in the church. Do you see the murderer Moses or do you see the redeemed Moses? Do you see the adulterer David or do you see the redeemed David? Do you see the denying coward Peter or do you see the redeemed Peter? Do you see the the Christian persecuting Saul or do you see the redeemed Paul? This, this church, these people, this is our cloud of witnesses. And I see them standing with Jesus right now and saying to me, Paul, please don't write that person off. That was me. See who they can become in Christ, not who they are in the world. See redemption first. They need more than tolerance. They need love. Jesus always had room in his life to love one more person. He was the solution to their situation. He was their savior. He was everything that they needed. And he had the capacity to take every single burden he encountered and carry it with him to Calvary where he dealt with that burden forever. Now I don't have that capacity. None of us do. But we're not being asked, even though we are love in this world, we're not being asked to be the solution to their situation. We're not being asked to be their savior, to be everything that they need. We're being asked to be love. And love means that we always have room for one more at the table. And all we have to do is invite them to sit down. We're not the sustenance that they're looking for. All that they need is on the table that God has set before them. We are simply being asked to let people know that the seat next to us is open. On the table is the hope, forgiveness, peace, joy, love, and life that all of us need. They're dying without it, and we can direct them to it by offering our love as an invitation to experience the source of that love found in the person of Jesus Christ. But they'll never get there without a simple invitation to sit down. God is love. God is in us. John said that God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. It's his love that's the fruit that they need. It's not us. That's what gave Jesus that kind of capacity. It was his father's love in him. I fear that tolerance leaves people alone. It may validate them, but it leaves them alone. Love invites them to the table, no matter what we think we can or can't offer. Regardless of whether or not we think we can relate to them or identify with them, we both need what's on the table, and that's enough. Invite them to sit. 
and show them what's on the table. If we truly start seeing redemption first when we look at the people we encounter, it should create in us a desire to know people. But seeing people's behavior first isn't knowing people. It's judging people. It's seeing right and wrong, not seeing life. Tolerance looks at behavior. Love looks at people. Love wants to know what's below the surface. Behind every form of self-expression is a story. Love wants to know the story and is willing to wait to hear it without passing judgment. Love wants redemption. Love wants every person it meets to flourish. So brothers and sisters, listen. Ask and listen Look and seek to understand. Open the cover. Read on. Follow Jesus into encounters that lead to life. Don't just look at the cover. Love reads the story and becomes part of the story. Now if you're sitting there feeling like you just failed a final exam, then join the crowd. I know how badly I fall short in this area. I'm angry at our culture for allowing tolerance become, to become such a high value. I'm not ready to just jump on board the cultural train and be tolerant right next to everyone else. I'm not going to be intolerant. And I hate being called that. But I believe that there's something more I had forgotten that there are much higher values in God's family. Let's never forget that. Never. If the church was to create conversation and action around loving the way that we've been talking about this morning, what do you think it would do to the whole tolerance conversation? I think it would fade into the background because I think we can do better than tolerance. Culturally, we're all about validating people. I can't argue with that. Tolerance validates, but love values. I don't want to be validated. I want to be valued. Men and women, boys and girls created by God in his image want to be valued, not just validated. They want to be loved. They need to be loved, just like you and I do. And you and I, Chapel Hill Church, brothers and sisters in Christ, are love. So let's love first. And put the value of love where it should be. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up now. Help us close out our service with worship. And I want you to pray with me as they come. So you bow your heads and close your eyes. Let's pray together. And I ask that as you come before God right now with a quiet heart and a quiet mind,
ask that you honestly make that statement to God. Three words. So will I. As God has so loved the world, so will I. Father, will you work in me? Bring my heart and my mind, my life, my will, my emotions. Will you bring all of that to that place where I accept the fact that as you are in this world, so am I. God, I ask that you would help us not to take this lightly. This is not words. This is a recognition that your spirit dwells in us, desires to flow out through us, that you desire for us to be ministers of reconciliation in this world, reconciling lost souls to you, that you have asked us, Father, to rise above culture, to show this world that there is something better, there's something more powerful, there's something more meaningful, that there is something that is gonna speak deep down into the spirit of every individual on this planet and awaken your image in them to the point where they surrender fully to you. Pray, Father, that you would forgive me for those far too many times when I have been judgmental right off the bat, where I've made a decision, a right and wrong decision, and I have not seen beyond behavior. I ask that you would help me to put Jesus in front, that I would follow Jesus into every opportunity that he gives me and that I would see what he sees, I would see who he sees. I would see redemption first. I would see your image in them first. I would see that you have, by putting your spirit in me, by abiding in me, you have made me love. You have moved me from not just being a noun, but to being a verb. Pray that you would soften my heart for the people around me. Pray that you would turn my eyes off of arguments and debates over right and wrong and fully on to loving, to inviting people to sit down next to me at the table. God, I know we have a long ways to go in this, but I ask that you would be patient and that you would persevere with us as more and more we become what you've created us to be and what your spirit is through us in this world. That you would make us love here in every conversation, in every interaction, every encounter that we have, that we would be love. 
God, I praise you for being that loving, for having a love that exceeds our abilities, exceeds our imagination, but a love that you have offered down into us and have flow through us. God, will you make that happen? Shape us, transform us into better and better and better reflections of you here in the world. Help us to become a a light of hope and peace and love and forgiveness and mercy and joy and all the things that come from your spirit abiding in us. We offer ourselves to you, Lord, because of who you are, because we were made in your image, and we do this in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who set the example for us. In his name we pray.